Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. I'm your coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and I'm here to share all my ups, downs, and all-arounds of being a mom to my gorgeous Adia, owning a fitness business called Define London, and truly managing being a unsingle single mom as we cheer on my husband and his amazing business in Uganda. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. Is this a mic check? You heard that right. Uganda, and he is not doing the daily commute. So each week, I will be joined by a fellow inspiring, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We all need to take a deep breath together. We try, we navigate, and not be too hard on ourselves. I get it. I am human, and failures simply happen. I am not shiny, and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am, at its best and worst, busy mumsy. Hi friends, Ashley Verma here and welcome back for another Busy Mumsy Chat. I hope you all are doing fab. We're doing good in the Verma household. You know, things are a bit flipped upside down right now. It's it's great, it's exciting, it's also exhausting because, oh dear, we weren't expecting this part. Our mini dachshund, Baxter, um, is injured. Ugh. Um, good news so far, he does not need any sort of surgery, but he has torn a tendon in his back paw. I just hate seeing him like this. I mean, it's the absolute worst. The only silver lining I get out of this is that he barks way less, like way less because he's a bit mopey and he has pain medication that he's on, so he's a bit sleepy. So that's the only silver lining to this. We are taking him to Uganda. Yes, we are. We are packing up for a long haul flight to Uganda. And Baxter is going along for the journey, and I don't know if Uganda is ready for Lord Baxter. So fingers and paws crossed. (laughs) I'm so excited to be heading back to Uganda to uh, be with Ricky. Um, I have to say, I have to say, and I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, I love, I get a little bit of space, but I don't love that much space. Um, a couple of days, fine. We um, essentially do two, three months. Um, it's a lot. I get anxious. I get overwhelmed. Um, I love being a mother to Adia, but I also love being a wife. And I love having my person around me. And um, so I'm really excited to uh, head back to Uganda and be with Ricky and that we can be a family. Like, I want him to wake up in the morning and see Adia just running around and, you know, that thousand thousand percent energy. <laughs> well, my next guest actually shares these same kind of like unsingle single mom vibes um, as her other half is constantly traveling for work. I was listening to her recently on a podcast. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to meet her as we just share so much in common when it comes to trying to navigate and manage the ups and downs being on on your own with a child. Ilian Morrison is a mother of two, and she is well known in the UK as a midwife and birth debris facilitator. Say that five times real fast. (laughs) She has always had a passion for empowering women during pregnancy and childbirth and has been extremely passionate about birth education as she believes good antenatal education can really make a difference to the pregnancy and birth experience. So much to chat with Ilian about, and I just can't wait to meet her. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Before we get started with this week's show, I want to give so much love to our Busy Mumsy podcast sponsor, 
Bump Date. Bump Date is transforming the way we embrace our pregnancy with the first ever mobile app, allowing close friends and families to support expecting parents while they share their expected due dates, pregnancy timelines, gift registry links, baby names, and so much more in a private, streamlined way. Unlike other apps with due date calculators, Bump Date has an easy to read trimester meter and real time pregnancy calculations by number of weeks and days. While the app predominantly targets pregnant women and parents, it's also a way for family and friends to intimately follow along their journey and remember to check in during those milestone moments. To download the app and learn more about Bump Date, head to the link in the Busy Mumsy show notes. Now let's dive on into this. This week's Busy Mumsy Chats. Illy Morrison, welcome to the Busy Mumsy podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And we have a, a, a special guest as well. Who is that strapped to your chest? We have Talha. He is, it's actually supposed to be, I mean, mm, I thought it may have been his nap time, but he's like, no, it's definitely not my no. nap time. So. It's never the case. It never goes to plan. Is they know when you've got something to do. Of course, of course. Well, you know, I've, I'll tell you right now, I thought that I would be recording in a much quieter space. There is a huge Lord's Cricket match going on right now. And it, it, you can just hear it in the very front of my flat in every room. So I'm like tucked back in a corner in the other side of the flat. And I'm fingers crossed that yeah. I even get Wi-Fi back here. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. I'm, I might have to flip upside down for some Wi-Fi, but we'll just figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> well, Illy, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. And I am a huge follower, a supporter. I follow you on, on your Instagram account, Mixing Up Motherhood. Um, it's just glorious with what you do. And you wear so many hats. So not only are you a proper mama of two, a mama bear too. So you have a little girl, correct? I do. I have a, well, she's yeah. four in October. She's four in October. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to like figure out math wise, like where she was. And then you've got this little delicious little man who's six months old. Six months in September. Oh my gosh. You are a very, very busy mumsy. Yes. <laughs> so wearing all the many hats um, as a midwife birth a birth debrief facilitator, um, mm -hmm. birth advocacy, birth trauma, so many hats and a mother of two yeah. and a wife and managing all of it. Let's rewind back to when did it all kind of click inside of you that you just wanted to be the beacon, the voice for women in how they can have the best possible delivery to bring life into the world? Yeah, I mean... So basically, I qualified as a midwife about five years ago. And I I think, you know, having worked within women's services for about four years before, and I remember during my training, the midwives would say, my mentors would be like, Illy, stop talking. Like, we've got to do this. We've got to write notes. We've got to whatever. And I was just so focused on ensuring that they had communication but a good time a good time so I wanted to really talk to them and build relationships my big thing was about developing relationships and that's why I'd even gone into midwifery it was about a love for women and their families and it wasn't about the clinical aspect or the babies themselves 
And um, what I soon realized it was due to the bureaucratic nature of healthcare and, you know, the kind of pen pushing nature of it all, that was actually impossible. It was impossible to really focus on building relationships because if you did that, then other things would have to fall by the wayside. And the system is what it is. And it meant that actually that couldn't happen. So as I was working, I was finding that more and more I was losing that part of myself that loved ensuring the good time, the positive experience in whatever capacity I could do it. And I was, you know, getting really bogged down by the minutia, which actually felt like minutia for me. So it wasn't about the safety or anything, but it was just like, oh, I've got to make sure I've done my notes. I've got to make sure I've done this. I've got to make sure I've done that. And it was like, oh, well, this isn't actually that enjoyable. Going back, I actually know that I wasn't ever going to be a clinical midwife. I sort of was like, I don't know what kind of midwife I'm going to be. I thought of case uh, safeguarding, some type of case, uh, case loading and kind of never really got into any of it. Um, so fast forward a few years, I had my own daughter under quite sort of difficult or, you know, kind of traumatic experience um, and had her sort of transitioned into motherhood in a really ropey way um, and decided to then go back to work. In the first year of her life, I'd moved to Spain with my husband and then come back because I was like, I don't want to live here and all sorts of things. And then was like, I'm going back to work for six weeks um, just to kind of uh, sort of tie up a few loose ends and went back and couldn't do it. I remember finding myself in an emergency situation and freezing and being, I saw the woman's face and I saw the panic and I felt it because I knew it. And I was like, I can't, I can't partake in this. Um, you have someone though to help you through your pregnancy? No. So throughout my, my, I kind of did a lot of the work myself when it came to kind of overcoming my own experience. But that was like a real catalyst moment of seeing that actually I can cause trauma in people and I didn't want to be part of it, but also that I hadn't worked through my own stuff. Um, and so the following day I handed in my notice and I quit my job. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do because <laughs> at this point I had a one-year-old and this was right at the start of the pandemic so the february february 2020 and i was like oh you don't have a job girl um and so i oh, thought but I, I hope that you stopped even though you didn't have a job i hope you stopped and thought i need to work on myself yeah, for yeah, now. Yeah. i mean all of those tools that you are taught to do to give they're so instrumental and clearly they help others what did you do to help yourself? We're in a lockdown mm -hmm. and you're, you're navigating being a first time mom. What did you do to help your mental health to get you to where you are now? Yeah. So it was basically when I'd quit my job, I then thought, right, it's fine. I'll figure it out. Um, I then thought I'm going to apply to work on the staff bank in a local hospital so I can work as and when. I am... Um, in that time, my husband ended up being locked down in Spain. So lockdown happened and he was basically trapped there for four months. Um, so I was at home with my parents, luckily, and my sister. Um, 
but I got the job on the staff bank. But again, going back to kind of what I advise people to do, focusing on myself and my well-being meant that actually I didn't need to work. I didn't want to work. It wasn't putting myself in that environment again wasn't going to be what I needed to do. So I didn't accept the job. And that then in the April of 2020 is when I started mixing up motherhood. Because I thought, I just want a blogging space. That was all it was. It was like, I just want to speak about my my work experiences and my, um, you know, pregnancy, birth, all that sort of stuff. Didn't really have like a particular angle, but knew that I wanted to share things. So that is where that all began. And um, it Isn't was- that brought happiness? Because I, I immediately, I mean- you just smiled. Yeah, yeah. It was it was such a like a it's turned out to just be such like a light bulb thing, you know, like a real moment of, oh my gosh, that was where your journey started in what has actually ended up being now my full-time job. Um and it's amazing. And that helped with my own stuff. So really kind of looking inwards and being like, what's going on here? How, what do you need to do? How has it impacted your relationship with your children, with your child, your husband, your life? Um, and really kind of acknowledging it. And by acknowledging it, it was like, mm, okay, cool. Like we can work with this. And because this work is ongoing, it meant that it was like, as I was helping other people, I was also helping myself. And it, is, it, was, it was really um, quite, an, quite an incredible thing. So, yeah, two and a half years later, we're still going strong. That's incredible. And to even touch on something that I actually didn't even think I would bring up was raising your child at the very early stages without your partner. Mm. How was that for you? I just, you know, you and I have just met. Um, I, my, my husband works in Uganda. Okay. And so I'm very much a tried and true unsingle single mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm very lucky that I have help three times a week. And then the rest of it, I just figure it out. So there will yeah. be paint on the walls and, you know, we will figure mm -hmm. it out. And with that said, it's like you are starting this new journey and then also starting a new journey as a parent. How did you juggle then with your husband, with him being away for anyone that perhaps is that single mom or... Yeah they're dealing with that, you know, that travel and, you know, they're always apart. Like what were some things that helped you to get through those times when your husband wasn't around? Yeah. So my mom, who um, unfortunately recently passed away, she, she, I was living with her. And so that kind of helped in the sense of like, I had people um, and my younger sister and my dad. So it was the three of us at home. My other sister lived about 20 minutes away and she had two daughters of her own. So that helped a lot. Um, I essentially had a village of help. And, you know, I say this to people all the time because they, they, they think that when you say I've got a village, it means that everyone is doing everything for you. But it doesn't. The, the, the buck starts and finishes with the mother and with the Absolutely. parents. So it's kind of like, yes, there are people helping me, but ultimately it doesn't mean that I'm not doing anything. I still have to do it. I still have to be present in it. I still have to give permission for it. I still have to be conscious of it. And so, you know, for those who are doing that, but have support, don't let that take away from what you're doing because you are still giving everything. It is just that you are supported in a way that you have every right to be and need to be. And it doesn't mean any less. 
So that was also something to get my head around. So people were like, oh, you've got all this help though. I was like, no, but no one helps you like the parent, the other parent who has to help you. My mum doesn't have to help me. My dad doesn't have to help me, neither does my sister. And so there was a lot of resentful moments. You know, if he'd call me and be like, yeah, I'm just hanging out by the pool. I'm like, really? Oh my gosh, Um, I wish I would have met you sooner. (laughs) Like it was just, I was just like, do you actually think that this is okay? Like, you know, what, oh, sorry. Um, what do you All think? The, like? the Busy Mumsy podcast. I love it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was really difficult. But overall, you know, I'm going to say it. And I know a lot of people might say, oh, you know, that's, you, can only, you can only think that because you know that you've got the partner there. But there was lots of aspects of it that were made a lot easier because he wasn't there. Um, you know, it was kind of like, we just figured it out by ourselves. It was like, I had no choice but to get on with it. So I got on with it. And he now works between England and Spain. And I, I, when he's here, I'm like, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do the other? And sometimes he, he can't because he's working or whatever, but it annoys me even more. Cause I'm like, you're right here. But when he's not here, it's like, I just know that you can't do it. So I just do it myself. You know, I, I this resonates so much with me that we finally had to have a sit down and talk about it because the exact same thing, well, you're here, so why can't you? Mm-hmm. But when you are in that, like my husband actually left five days ago to go back to Uganda and he could be gone anywhere from three months, a month, six months. I mean, we, we just, we, we kind of, he's building a business. I'm super proud. With that, this, when I was last in Uganda, we had a, down to just discuss that when we are together we need better communication Mm -hmm. we need to either sit schedule or this is what you're always going to be doing no matter what like yeah it works important and we're trying to you know it's building blocks to build empires but with that said at the end of the day it comes back down to this little one who relies on both of us Mm -hmm. we have to have a game plan and i found that after we had that conversation and we're talking fights prior to this and I perhaps you felt that she's shaking mm-hmm. her head yes so <laughs> that we had countless fights and arguments over the most idiotic things that left me feeling pulling apart like I was being a nagging mom I mm-hmm. was being a nagging wife when really it takes two people to communicate properly to set the structure to really make a beautiful easier day if you will for the child and I think a lot of people don't even recognize that sometimes that is essential. Like they're like, oh, what is your is your relationship kind of like a, a business Like you have to schedule things in? And da, da, da. I'm like, sometimes, yeah, to, to make it work effectively, you have to be like, cool. So and especially when it comes to working from home or being self-employed, where there's this kind of idea that you don't have boundaries, that you can work into the middle of the night or that you can just kind of do whatever you want. But it meant that for both of us, we were like, we have to have structured hours. Like you work nine till five, that's fine. But at five o'clock, you better know that I'm going to be knocking at that door or sending one of those children to come and get you, you know, because that is, and you have to stick to that. And for me, it was like, I'm, I schedule in my sessions months in advance. Absolutely fine. And so I was like, you know, my diary for six months. So don't go and plan anything around it. Obviously there are some things that happen, but I'm going to respect that your time. And there's my diary, you know, so it's meant that you have to be really organized 
Um, but in the it's it's the long game, you know, because that even that moment of communication sets the tone for how you communicate other things. Um, you know, your wants, your needs, your desires. And so it's like, actually, yes, I can sit down with you and say, this, 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 and this needs to happen to get this, 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 and this. And um, you know, we've been we've been married eight years. And we're still learning. We're still navigating. We threw another child into the mix. And it's like, let's keep it moving, keep communicating. And, you know, sometimes it will work. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll be happy with what's been said. And other times you won't. Um, and, you know, so far it's going okay. It's working. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's just like raising a child. It's fingers crossed. Yeah. Each day with love, and you can only hope for the best. And if your best is brushing your teeth at 3 p.m., so be it. Hey. So Low be expectations, it. everything's a win. Everything is a high five and a win. I have to say that scheduling communication, super important for that expecting couple, mm -hmm. for that expecting couple that really don't know what the birth plan is going to be. What do you... Like it, it, it's complete foreign territory, right? So to navigate childbirth, yeah. And this is your world. How do you? <laughs> this is your this is your wheelhouse. Let me tell you. <laughs> and um, how do you help couples um, navigate their childbirth to 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 their best? And you know, it, it can never go to plan to a T, right? There's always. Yeah. You know, but like, yeah. what do you do to help facilitate an easier experience for both couples, both partners? Yeah. So, you know, firstly, I, I always think the key to kind of having your positive birth experience is not focusing on the mode of birth. So I think so often and, and because the rates of cesarean section and induction and intervention are increasing all the time, it's important to not focus on the mode of birth too much. So yes, prepare for this vaginal birth if that's what you want or whatever, but the focus has to be on how you feel and how you are made to feel. So if you do that, it means that Ultimately, you come out of it and you're like, I felt involved, I felt centered, I felt heard, I felt supported, I felt like I was treated with compassion and empathy and kindness. Um, my baby was born by a cesarean section, which I didn't want, but I understood everything that was going on and I felt calm and supported. Those things, that has to be the focus has to be the focus for the partner as well. Like, I've, I want to feel involved in the communication. I want to feel like I've got things to do or that I have a role or a purpose. And when you start focusing on those things, it means that you kind of can say, even if you are disappointed by the mode in which your baby was born, your overall experience hasn't e been even more overshadowed by how you were made to feel. So communicating how you want to feel is actually for me, the primary thing that you need to put on your birth preferences. You know, I, 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 I feel scared when I'm in pain. I just want to feel that there are people there. I don't want to feel like I'm being watched all the time. I don't want to feel like you're talking about me, but I want to feel like you're talking to me. You know, those types of things will set you up to kind of navigating what is extremely foreign territory in a way that still makes you feel as comfortable as you could be. You know, I have to share that 
when I found out that uh, we were expecting Adia, and she's now two and a half years old, I immediately like switched in my brain that, well, I'm a modern woman and I work and I have to do X, Y, Z, and I have to be ready to do this and that. And I was managing a bricks and mortar at the time and I have a full staff. And well, so I chose, I chose cesarean. Like I, mm -hmm. in my head, I wanted to have cesarean. Um, I elected not to breastfeed. <laughs> Actually, I'll be, and this, this perhaps might be the American in me and I would love to hear your, on it, but like having a midwife, um, I, I didn't have one to be honest with you. Like I didn't, I, I just went for my scans and then I had my elected cesarean and I went to the hospital and I had a baby and I went home and then we were in lockdown mm -hmm. and I suffered massive postpartum depression that it at times was crippling and my husband didn't know what to do. And of course we were in this like pandemic as well. So it was just kind of like, ha. Huh, how, how can you explain of softening what the midwife can help with for someone who was in their head, like that modern, like, I, I just have to be able to do it all after and like, whatever, like in hindsight, in hindsight, I wish I had the support and I welcomed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's frustrating now that, you know, <sighs> when I read more about it and what I could have been a bit more like educated on mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what I could have asked for postpartum. Yeah. Didn't. Yeah. So how, how, how can you shake me right now and give it? <laughs> and it's kind of like where, where we, where, where as a society, we, we kind of, everyone wants to categorize us. You know, you're the gentle parent, you're the kind of attachment parent, you're the working mother, you're the this, you're the that, you're the other. And it's like, okay, we're going to put you in this category and that category and that category. And so if you've said, I'm the modern mother, it's like, well, I'm what, what your sort of definition of that would be is I'm working, I'm juggling, I'm figuring it all out and, you know, this, that and the other. But it's like, well, why can't they go together? Why can't, why can't the modern mum ask for help? Why can't, why does she have to do it by herself? And so it's recognizing that all of this is interwoven. It's the same way that the, the person that does not call themselves a gentle parent is not an aggressive parent or the person that doesn't call themselves an attachment parent or doesn't practice attachment parenting is not a detached parent. So it's saying actually, yes, I am this modern woman, but also we need help too. Like part of being modern means that I lean on the support that is there because perhaps before that wasn't there. You know, so now I'm like, right, within my, my modern motherhood and whatever you want that to look like, you might be like, I'm going to pay someone to come and support me. I'm going to get, I'm going to have someone that comes in three times a week. I'm going to get an independent midwife. That might be what I you have guilt on that. I, I have guilt. Yeah. And this is the thing because it's kind of like that categorization that we've been socialized to believe will make you think this is what I need to do. And then you set the bar very high for yourself to stay within that category and to prove that you are capable while suffering because this shame of now, now being seen as being incapable. It's not, it's, and, and the thing is, it was like, well, actually in the nicest way, 
you set that for yourself. Now, society doesn't help, but you set that for yourself as what capable looks like. For me, capable looks like being able to call someone and being like, come help them. <laughs> That's you know, capable. I, I actually was raised like that. And mm -hmm. um, because I, I was raised in a small town in Moundsville, West Virginia, and my brother and I were passed around like a little bas a basketball. Mm -hmm. Just anyone and everyone was around, whether it be the neighbor and grandma and auntie, you name it, they were there. Yeah. And here, I mean, my, my in-laws are wonderful and great. They're working. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my mother-in-law, you know, is in government. And it's just, you know, she, she's not available all day, every day. She was, she was very much that modern woman when she gave birth to both of her kids. And yeah. they were, you know, raised. And she and I have countless talks about, do you have guilt? And she's like, of course I do. But I want to be now the best grandma I can mm -hmm. to Adia. Mm -hmm. And why is it that she has to feel guilt? Mm. And we're talking about someone who's over 60. Sorry, BV. Sorry. <laughs> She's but still, you know, 45. But anyway, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think just in just all, all over, women just feel this weight of it just gets put on our shoulders. And yeah. then once we, you know, have our child, we in, in however way that you know you, you had the baby it is then the forced get it together get yeah. it together to just be 24 7 that love and support for the child and then if if you if you are you know that parent that is going back to work it's like that even heighten all of that yeah. how do you help someone who has given birth to navigate that postpartum internalization of feeling of mm -hmm. thinking that yeah. sinking feeling is unbelievable yeah i mean firstly we we can also normalize guilt and normalize guilt as not being a, a a kind of reflection of the parents that we are but the growth that we're doing you know actually yes i do feel bad about something and i won't necessarily feel better no matter how much you tell me i don't need to feel guilty so it's like, I just have that guilt and that's okay. I'm working through it and I'm not beating myself with it, but it's something I feel guilty about and would do differently and would change and all of those things. So we can say, actually, sometimes we are going to feel guilty for things. And sometimes we are going to make mistakes. And sometimes we are going to have to apologize to our children, to our partners, to ourselves. There's lots of that that has to go on. That is uh, apologizing to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's it. Out of my ears. Yeah, if you're thinking, right, I at that time, I thought I needed to do all of that stuff um, to kind of be seen as smashing it. But actually, I'm so sorry to myself for putting that expectation there and for then dealing with the guilt and shame of not being able to achieve it. I'm sorry, you know, because actually it wasn't fair. But we don't know that at the time. So there are going to be things in our lives and throughout our parenting that we aren't going to know the result of or we aren't going to know the sort of long lasting impact of when we make that, that decision. And that's something that's OK. That's something that we that, that's parenting. You know, it's new for us. It's new for babies. It's, you know, we, we are just navigating this whole thing. Now, that sinking feeling. It's really it's not, you know, OK, so I would say to people say, I didn't love my baby when I first met them. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Like, that's fine. You know, for me, when I first met my daughter, I had this sinking feeling. I was like, oh my gosh, it felt scary. It felt like responsibility. It felt like I, I now have to figure this out. I've got this whole person 
like a physical person now. She's not in my belly. I've got to look after her. And that huge sense of responsibility felt overwhelming. And then the shame that came with feeling that meant that I didn't speak about it. And I saw it as being something that defined me as a mother. It's, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Because if someone literally came to your door right now and handed you a puppy and said, raise it, you'd be like, what on earth? I don't know about puppies. I don't know what to do with it. You know, it's a stranger. It's a stranger. It's something that you have not experienced. You've no experience in. You've been handed it and you didn't even get a chance to catch your breath. And so it doesn't matter if you elected to have a cesarean. It doesn't matter if you if you didn't choose to breastfeed or any of those things. That doesn't mean that you then don't have the right to have a sense of sinking, a sense of fear, a sense of like, what on earth am I doing? It's just part of navigating this whole role. And if we normalized the sinking, we would then put things in place to catch us. But because we're so like, no, and now you need to crack on and love this child and raise this child and do it all. We, people don't facilitate that. They don't say, do you know what? I'm going to move back in with my mum. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to get my mum to come for three months and not feel embarrassed about it or not feel like any less. But actually, I want someone to catch me if I fall. If I could have moved to Florida for six months, I would have done Yeah. I'm going to take that guest room. I'm coming yeah. on over. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we need to normalize. That actually, I I don't want to sink. I want to find joy. I want to be able to find pleasurable moments. And so actually, I know I need to check inwards and be like, what do I need to facilitate that? And the reality is for everyone, it will be different. For some people, they want someone that they hire. It's their job. They want to make sure that they can then be like, cool, that's what they do. For others, they want their family. They want to feel safe and comfortable. And that's what their family give them. For others, they can think of anything worse than having their family. And they want to be by themselves. A very conscious decision that they have made. And they say, that's what I actually want. Absolutely fine. Whatever it is that you think will catch you and will be there as your safety net, use it. You know, it actually makes me then think of the beautiful milestones that a child goes through in their early stages. And you find that when you are working with uh, now moms and dads, um, that post, post baby, that they also need milestones for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like how, yeah, I was gonna say like, how could we like, what, what would be some like, thoughts, tips, ideas for that, you know, that new parent. Yeah. So the first thing I always say to people is that, have you ever looked at the credit you need to give to yourself? Like, look at your child and then thank yourself, you know, because we, we celebrate their milestones. Oh, they're crawling. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're that. If we look at emotional, physical development with children, they don't do it by themselves. If you were to leave a child by itself, you would see they wouldn't reach those milestones. And it is only through us as their parents and those who are supporting us that these children are able to thrive. So when you look at a thriving child, be like, huh, I did that. You know, take that credit. It's not taking it from them. It's saying, actually, look what we did, you know. And so once you start like normalizing, kind of cheering yourself on, celebrating your wins. And this could be a win of a solo nap for 20 minutes. 
this could be, I mean, I, I can't remember what happened the other day. I did something with him and I was like, I'm taking myself shopping. And it was the tiniest thing that I'd done. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like, I'm going to celebrate it because I feel like I want to celebrate myself, you know? And it was like, cool, that's very normal. I will pour myself a drink and I will, you know, non-alcoholic drink, but like I will pour myself a drink and I will celebrate what I did there because I need to normalize speaking well to myself celebrating these things that I have done because how do I then encourage my children to do that for themselves so yes our milestones can be big can be small it doesn't matter and actually a milestone can look very different so some people will say a milestone would be let's say an example of like baby slept in in its cot and that is great right but then does that mean that you don't get to celebrate baby sleeping six hours straight co-sleeping no you can as well. Your milestones, you set them for yourself. So, I'm, you know, I'm setting one right now. And the next time that I look at those glorious baby photos of Adia, I'm not going to go in my head and say, oh, gosh, I remember that day and that I had a panic attack and I went to the no, I got through the day and we had a beautiful day. I'm going to go. I'm going to flip my narrative in my brain. Yeah, flip it. I, I mean, She's two and a half years old. I am so hard on myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's it. We're our own worst critics. In every moment, we'll look at what we didn't do rather than what we did. And it's, you know, one thing I say to people when I'm doing a, a birth debrief with them, I, I'm like, society has got us trapped in this birth narrative of this moment, which is in fact the shortest moment in that perinatal experience in from conception all the way through pregnancy to the postnatal, suddenly it's like, how was the baby born? How was the baby born? You feel this deep sense of failure because perhaps you had an intervention or perhaps this, that, and the other. And it's like, but what about everything else on either side of that? Look at what you did. Look at what you've done. Look at what you're doing. Don't, don't, get, don't let the birth itself drag you down. It's a big thing, but it's not the be all and end all. You know, it's, it, was, it was a part of it and you are still doing everything on either side of it and make sure that you are telling yourself that over and over again. And that's for partners as well. They support you throughout it. They are navigating their own things. You know, people say to me, can I bring my partner to a debrief? I was like, please do. If you want him to come, please, if you want them to come, amazing because actually they have lived something from a different perspective and they have also lived something that has not been given the attention that it is warranting because they didn't give birth and so it's like yeah anyway it's not really about you and it's, it is about them it is about them yeah you know i i actually had um, a dear friend of mine brett shuford on the show not too long ago with his partner Stephen, and they had a surrogate mm-hmm. at even though they did not give birth to glorious Maverick, they still felt the sense of, you know, what Crystal was going through, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, she didn't get her birth plan and they felt like they felt that for her. And it was beautiful to hear that, that, you know, it's just because they're not caring. Doesn't mean that they don't feel, they don't go through. And the fearful moments and they don't look at the plans as well and they don't have their wishes and their hopes. They, they, they have all of that as well. And then, you know, they transition into parenting as well and they have other sense of responsibility. You know, I think a lot of the time it's very undermined that a father, oh, he gets to go back to work. But it's like, yeah, he gets to go back to work and that is sometimes feels very unfair. Um, but then also he comes home 
and it doesn't stop. So it's not like he, you know, as much as we're doing it all the time. So one thing doesn't take from the other. We are all doing something. We are all trying to navigate these things. And it is about kind of everyone going, oh my gosh, this is a transition for all of us. Absolutely. And I know that Ricky and I speak about that all the time. And I, you know, I, I can only hope one day that he'll come on the show and actually talk about his feelings and what yeah. he went I know that there is that guilt that he feels when he's missed the day. Because there's, I mean, even that, like, even if that day wasn't so great or bright or wasn't that fabulous, it, he still missed a part of of her day. And yeah. Perhaps you know. And I think it's, going back to your your first question of kind of like my husband not being there for that time. So at that time, our daughter was speaking a lot more, and she was like getting big. And um, he's Spanish and she obviously just had me. I speak Spanish, but I, I read that each parent should speak in their native tongue. So I was only speaking to her in English. All my family was speaking to her in English and she couldn't understand a word of Spanish. He would try, but then he'd be like, she doesn't even understand. So, and he missed that bit where it came with speech. And he, now he only speaks to her in Spanish. And from when he got back, he only spoke to her in Spanish. But those four months, it was important and there were things that he missed and milestones that he missed and moments and relationship relationship building. And so, you know, the same for when dads or partners are back at work, they're missing things. They're missing things, the good and the not so good. Because sometimes I think, I said to my sister just yesterday, I, I wish my husband would take like five weeks off work and then see the monotony of this whole thing because he thinks that his day with her is like a fun day. But he like, you know, and I get just the monotonous days of the same thing. I want him to see what that's like as well. And so, you know, we're all we're all having different experiences from different lenses. And, you know, they all they all deserve a bit of a look in. Well, now that you are very deep as a busy mumsy into the world with now two beautiful kids, mm -hmm. what do you know now that you did not know? Oh, gosh. What did I know now that I did not know um, was that your brain, and I did know this, but hadn't actually even, and, and more so being self-employed, but, you know, you, when they say that you don't switch off, you genuinely don't switch off. And that is a state that you kind of have to become comfortable with, but also being boundaried within. And so it's like, no, I don't switch off, but can I just turn the volume down a little bit? You know, can I put it in slow motion to make it a little bit easier? And that's something that I'm really trying to practice is just being like, okay, slow it down, slow it down. When your work hat's on, your work hat's on. When your mum hat's on, your mum hat's on. And then you can have a slower period in the evening where your brain is still going, but it's just going a little bit slower. And that's, that's been quite, quite, um, quite a light bulb thing for me. And then also just simply giving yourself the constant grace. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm just like, why? Well, you're still doing it with these kids. And sometimes I'm doing a debrief session and he's with his dad and I'll hear him screaming his little head off and I'll say, can I bring him in? I'm so sorry. 
And it's just like, sometimes that's what the juggle looks like. And it doesn't make me any less capable of my job. It means that I will just carry my children in with me and I will do what I need to do and wear both of those hats. And, you know, I haven't had any complaints so far, so. <laughs> you know what, you wear all of the hats so beautifully well. And let me tell you, it was an extra gift to have your little boy join us on the Busy Mumsy podcast. Very noisily, huh? Very, but perfect. You were on pitch the entire way through. Yay. Thank you so, so much, Illy, for coming on. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Busy Mumsy podcast. If you have enjoyed this week's show, then please, please give it some extra love wherever you download your podcast and give it a five-star rating, a high five, a kickball change, a yes, yes, go Busy Mumsies. And don't forget, you can find out more information about this week's guest, what we discussed, and everything else related to the world of Busy Mumsy by clicking the link in the show notes down below. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.